Today's episode of The Full 60 is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you, with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home. We're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. First of all, I'd like to apologize if there's any background noise. They may be chopping a tree down outside my window and then um, sending it through a wood chipper and also doing landscaping. So working from home and that, you know, hopefully it's not too distracting. So far it's quiet. So I'm going to fly through this introduction. Um, My guest this week is Jack Han, who I've known Jack. Well, first of all, let me give you some background on Jack. uh, If you don't know him, Jack was on the staff of the Toronto Maple Leafs the last few years. Um, started out working uh, with the, their R&D staff. By the end, had worked his way onto the coaching staff of the Toronto Marlies. Um, and Jack is, and you may know him from his time before being working in Toronto uh, because he worked a little bit with The Athletic, did really great video breakdowns, um, mixing analytics and tactics, um, and did that as, as well as almost anybody has done it in the media space also did famously did those one minute tactics on Twitter before he got hired by Toronto. He was just one of those guys that was doing really cool things publicly and then disappeared because Kyle Dubas tends to hire really smart people. And now we have this window of time where Jack is, is between jobs. He left Toronto, mutually parted ways, everything's good there and is now kind of embarking on what's next. He's as he gets to in this conversation has written a book. I think he said in like two weeks which is insane, um, but it just seems like he's been struck by you know that that creative passion that can hit you every once in a while, and he's in a really good place when it comes to that. And it led to a really great conversation with Jack, who was uh, moving to Montreal, I believe. So we did this while he stopped in a rest area to record uh, while in transit. But it was a fantastic conversation. We talked about his time in Toronto, um, about what's coming next for him. His path, he's he's 31, but he has already experienced so much. He's worked a lot with Daryl Belfry. I spent some time with Jack down in the summer in Florida uh, during that camp that Austin Matthews was at, Patrick Kane was at, and some of the best women hockey players in the world. And I believe that's where we started. Um, covered a lot of ground. Great conversation with Jack. Was really excited, excited to get him on during this window in time when he can still talk publicly. And I really hope you enjoy. So here it is, The Full 60 with Jack Han. So, Jack, I want to say the last time we crossed paths was um, at Daryl Belfry's camp in, uh, where, gosh, where were we? Somewhere in Florida. I've already lost track. Estero. <laughs> Estero. That's right. Which was, and the backstory, I was, um, I was, Daryl allowed me to kind of shadow him for a few days at this incredible camp we had, you know, that had the best women's hockey players in the world and some of the best men, you know, including Patrick Kane and Austin Matthews. And it was it was great to watch, and it was just fun to get to know the staff because Daryl puts puts together a great staff. But now it, that seems like six million years ago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, so much has changed, and and actually that that, that was a funny week because I remember we were uh, we were in Daryl's living room watching tennis together. Yes, and then you know, like we we're playing with the dog and we we're we we're chatting, but uh, you you mentioned women's uh, the the best women's players, and, and I was actually really disappointed not to stick around for that portion of the week because um i was going into obviously my first year coaching at the ahl level uh traverse city where mm-hmm. uh, the rookie tournament was going to be was like a week a week away i want to say yeah and then um you know weather started rolling in in florida and i wasn't sure i was going to be able to get out in time so so it, it was kind of a 50 50 shot because there was like a hurricane coming there was so I had to I had to get out of Dodge. I want to say day three or four, 
So I actually missed, you know, the part that that I was really excited about because having worked in women's hockey for so many years and yeah. um, knowing some of the girls and knowing of the other girls, I, I was or, or the other women, um, I, I was really psyched for that part, which I didn't get to experience, unfortunately. It was, I mean, it was, it was. Great. I'm not going to rub it in how how fascinating it was, but um, yeah, I forgot about that. There was like a there was a I, at one point because I didn't pack well. I, I, it was the middle of August or whatever, late August, and I was I was packing like I was going to the beach for this trip and forgot I was going to be in a rink the whole time. So I went went to a Costco to buy more clothes, and like everybody was buying water. We, we were at that point of hurricane, preparing for a hurricane, and apparently I just missed it on the way out. It was it was crazy times, but it was a great week, and I, I do want to talk about it a little bit. But first, I it's I want to kind of get us into the moment with your story because um you know you're you're kind of one of those classic people on twitter who who had a a following you had you know the one minute tactics and that's i think you you had a lot of popularity there and then you disappeared and now you've reappeared on twitter so that's always a sign of a life change it seems in these times can you kind of catch us up as much as you can on what's going on yeah so for for the past three years i've worked um in the May Police organization, uh, first I was um, a player development anal- analyst, which meant mm-hmm. that I was doing video and uh, statistical analysis on our prospects. Uh, the following year, I uh, I was promoted to hockey operations assistant, which meant um, a lot of the same things, but also more um, pro scouting, some amateur scouting, and just being uh, you know hands on with a lot of the hockey ops uh, things going on. And then this most recent year, I was uh, assistant coach for the Toronto Marlies, and um, yeah, so so that's me. And, and now now I'm no longer that. So. <laughs> everything good though. Everything on the up and up. I you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it, um, yeah. So, so so I guess we'll get into it later. But it's um, for next little while. I I, I want to do more work in the public sphere. So I've been writing uh, a ton. I've been getting mm-hmm. up at like. 4 a.m. every morning to write and you know no alarm or anything like that it's just wow. you know, I, I i think about something i it seems like i write it when i'm sleeping and then once i get up it just kind of pours out of me so it's you know it's great because um you know being at home and working from home i i can do that it's not great for my girlfriend who's actually sitting next to me right now but she, <laughs> she's been she's been a little bit um uh uh, perplexed or a little bit troubled by my recent work habits, but you know we're we're making it work. Is that so? Th- that's interesting to me. Is do you normally operate that way? Are you uh, like somebody that gets up earlier, or is this some sort of muse that has to get out? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that I'm an early uh, like a morning person per se. Like you know, having worked on a coaching staff and comparing myself to to the people that I work with, either at the NHL or at the AHL level, like. I'm compared to them. I'm definitely not a morning person. Yeah. You know, like I, I like to wake up at eight or nine, but then it just seems like spending this, you know, year and a half or two years, um, working closer with coaches and working as a coach, uh, at this level, it just like, I guess it kind of reset my biological clock or something because now, like, if you tell me just get a full night's sleep and get up whenever, like now it's like five 45 or six ten or something. So you guys, as a staff of the Marlies, you guys were up early at it. I mean, like I would say, it's it's the most classic hockey thing. Like you you get up as early as you can. Like there's a race to be the first one at the rink, and then yeah. you know, just bragging rights, and then you know, probably by you know six oh five, you're on you're on your first coffee, and then you know by the time you're done, you for the day, it's probably like two or three p.m. If it's a practice day, you know, you probably have like five or six coffees in you or something. And, and it was tough for me because I don't drink coffee. So my yeah. the first coffee makes me really hyper. The second coffee gives me a headache. And then the third coffee puts me to sleep. And then I'm done. Come on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> I, I don't know how that works. Like, I, I got to check the science on that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, yeah. So, so um, that's like, and that doesn't really lend itself to a healthy lifestyle because you you also have games that keep you i'm sure to at the rink until whatever midnight and you're traveling and or so so like that's um and i'm thinking a lot about this now because i just finished a book why i think it's called why we sleep and it's you know talking about 
you know, our sleep cycles and and all that stuff. And it's, you know, there's how things are kind of how, how we're hardwired for a lot of this stuff that I imagine that had to be a challenge on some level. Yeah. Cause I always like growing up, I've always, um, you know, put sleep kind of at the top of my list in terms of what I, what I need to get. Like in, when I was in college, I, I hardly pulled all nighters. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a bit of a, a change, you know, going from, you know, let's say getting up at eight and going to bed at, you know, maybe midnight to, you know, getting up at, if, it, if it's a game day, we get up later. So it, it could be six thirty or seven, right? right, we, sleep right. In, we sleep into seven. Yeah. And then we go to the rink, um, you know, do, do our morning routine, which takes a few hours. Then we have like two or three hours off after lunch. Mm-hmm. So some, some of the coaches I work with will nap or like, I like to get uh, a workout in or, or actually my tennis club is next to the Marley's uh, game rink. So, so I'll go in and play tennis for like an hour just to kind of get moving and get a sweat going. And then it's back to the rank from like four to yeah, like closer to 10 or 11, depending. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot. So, okay. Kind of staying in the moment. Are we, are you allowed to talk about what's next yet? Or I, I know we're, I always catch people in these transitions a lot of times to get them on here. Yeah. Well, what, what's next is, um, you know, I, I have these years of pro hockey, I guess, perspective. And, and it's just, as I said, it's just kind of pouring out of me right now. And I decided about three weeks ago that, you know what, maybe a book is a good venue for this. So, okay. so I wrote a book in two weeks. Come on, I got it. Jack. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's like it. It, it's not. It's not like War and Peace or anything like that. It's, <laughs> it, 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 you know. oh, I don't care if it's. I couldn't write a. You know, C spot run in two weeks. I don't think. <laughs> so 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 yeah. So the idea for the book is I took six. Um, I would say hot topics, but and and I looked at them through the lens of whether it's tactics or analytics or you know using some some timeless principles. And I tried my best to explain uh, why that is. So, for example, chapter one is, you know, why does Tampa score and Montreal can't score? Or, you know, chapter three is, you know, why is P.K. Subban not good anymore? So stuff like that. And then I was... (laughs) I I, I, I don't know if P.K. would agree with chapter three, but anyways. (laughs) Yeah. um, I I don't know if he has my number, but, but, you know, if I ever get like an unknown number... uh, I, I might pick up. I don't know. But um, anyway, so I was lucky enough w- once I had the book done um, to have a, a great friend of mine and, and a Hockey Hall of Fame member and also a former guest of the Full 60, Michael Farber, to take a look yeah. at it and, and edit it with me. Oh, so, so that was Yeah. So, so, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, being a fresh call up and then, you know, getting put on Wink Gretzky's wing for, for yeah, the first that's... game. So, so, so that was amazing. And then um, I'm getting the book illustrated because I've always kind of wanted to do something with art. My girlfriend's an artist, um, mm-hmm. and that so I had I had Felix Ding, who's the guy that did the Bapsock uh, logo, yeah, like the artwork. Like I had him illustrate my book, so so it's gonna be it's gonna be great. Like it's uh, we're we're just kind of finishing the the look and feel of it. Should be out in a couple of weeks. It's already available for pre-sale. And then in the meantime, you know, since I finished writing the book. Um, I've kind of scaled back on my writing pace, but I've been putting up a, a, a post a day on my newsletter, which is free to read. Well, go ahead and plug it. I didn't know all this was going on. How do yeah, people get your newsletter? Yeah, there's a lot going on. Like it's just it, it's kind of a world <laughs> whirlwind right Jeez. now. But um, well, well, I mean, I'm sure um, you're gonna have my my Twitter handle. So really, if you have my Twitter handle, you you know you'll you'll have a one stop shop for everything I'm doing. Okay. So the so yeah so so it's. Uh, it's J H A N H K Y, so Jack Hand Hockey. Um, wow, that's really good. Well, guess what I've done? I've I've burned through um, three seasons of The Simpsons with my kids and um, exposing to them to. So that's that's my accomplishment over the pause. Wh- which ones? The, the early ones or the- <laughs> no? Well, mid like five, six, and set like that. I, okay. I, the, they didn't love the early, early ones, and I didn't. Okay. You know, I wanted to give them some some runway. Um, mm-hmm. so that's, that's my big accomplishment, but so I, it, but in a very like practical way, like, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. I, my, my motivation kinds, kinds of ebbs and flows right now. And there, there are times like I, I talked to the, to my agent who did my last book 
And I'm like, okay, I've got this time. Let's let's do something. And we had some ideas and he might be shopping it. But then I'm like, I don't want to do anything. How like how are you how do you manage that as somebody who's clearly very ambitious to get things done? Um like I would say that I'm a rusher. Like there's some people who are like, who are like perfectionists and they they want to hold on to things until it's absolutely perfect and then maybe put it out there and yeah. maybe like sometimes they never get it done. I'm kind of the opposite where like it, like my blogging uh, approach is you know I publish something and then I go back and edit it, which which is not ideal, but it is more <laughs> conducive to getting work right. done. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're leaving the comments section to do half the editing, which we, you know, I've been accused of doing at times. Yeah, but but you know, it's it's you're you're I guess you're leveraging other people, which is a good business practice. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, so you haven't found that to be problematic in terms of just this time we're in. Like it's, it sounds like you've got a fire under you. But but it's also I think um, like I I've been writing about sports or writing in general since I was. Uh, well, I started writing at five years old. Like my my grandfather was a was a, uh, a school teacher. Like he was very big into literature. You know, he would write um, diaries about like his readings and, and and stuff like that. He he never published anything, right? Hmm. So but so from a young age, I, I I've been writing a lot, but also I'm different to him in the sense I I like to put stuff out there, right? You know, so so I've I've written for you know the athletic, obviously, but before that. Um, uh, the Montreal Canadiens team website. I've written for the ATP's official website. You know, tennis, and and the one thing that I, that always kind of I was disappointed in was I didn't have the, the leeway to write about stuff that really interested me, which which isn't news, but rather you know more timeless things where you can go back you know five or six years from now and read them, and they're still relevant, where you're still learning right. something, where you can still you know, it's still actionable. Like my favorite article that I wrote for um, the ATP was this this sit down interview I did with John Isner at um, in Toronto. I think it was had to be four four years ago, something like that. And then I I, I talked about the mental game of tennis with him. So he 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 actually gave me some really good tips about how to play your best at big moments. You know, as a player who's he's a big server and he rarely breaks serve. So he's playing a lot of tie breaks, a lot of very tight, very long matches. He actually played, as we know, the longest match in tennis history, which lasted like three days or something like that. So it was really cool to to get those insights from him. But then if you if you Google that article today, you go back and read it. You can use the, these insights, you know, at your next at your next tennis match, maybe next week or something like that. And that's really what I wanted to do with um, my my writing and, and mm-hmm. with my book. That you know, I want fans to to read it and understand the game better, and I want players to read it and see what what the best are doing, and maybe you know steal some things from Crosby or Malkin or or you know PK, and I want coaches to read it and get some perspective on you know what what what's being done right now tactically, or how to handle players, or how to identify players. Well, what was interesting to me is it like, and so I feel the same way. Like, in one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I try to, I try not to make it too topical in that I want people to say, okay, this person is interesting. I'm going to go back and listen to Scotty Bowman, and we're not talking about you know the Lightning's four two win the, the night before, and I, like I, I love the value in that. But in, but it was interesting. What struck me was almost the opposite when you were telling me about your book idea you know, that's the story that you're writing because I'm like, boy, that sounds very topical, right? Like right now, PK is, you know, is, is, you can argue about his level of play, but you know, in two years, that might not be the case or the lightning might be bad. How do you tie in like the moment with, okay, let's make this timeless. Well, it it goes back to Moneyball, right? Like if you ask Mm. any, any, sports fan or any analytics uh you know connoisseur like what's your favorite book like moneyball is probably going to be somewhere near the top of that list yeah but really it's it's yeah but but it's it's a narrative it's it's a narrative about a seat about a team during a particular season right but then you have these timeless kind of uh aspects of you know finding undervalued players or uh using facts to make decisions or you know, you, you have these undercurrents that are, you know, permanent and that, that you always find in, in any team in any year. So, so really that's what I'm going for because, right. 
you know, you have to have context and what you're trying to, to get across, right? Like I didn't want to write something that was very academic or dry or that only appealed to, to certain people. Like I, I think there's a bit of, you know, you know there, there's something for everyone here, but also there's, there's something for everyone to maybe increase your understanding as well. So, all right, like I wouldn't mind diving into one of the chapters in, sure. because I only know two of them. I'm going to ask about those two. But like, so let's use the PK one as an example. Yeah. Like what, what, what's the lesson to be learned there and, and kind of how are, how are you using that narrative? So I've, you know, I've known of PK for a while. And, you know, I, the, the year I was in Montreal was 13, 14. So, so I got to watch him pretty much every game and, and got to talk to him a few times and so on and so forth. And, you know, there's no doubt that he, he's a special player and a special person. I just think mm-hmm. he's in a rut right now. Right. So if, if you look at other sports, right, if you're, look, if you're looking at tennis, you're looking at sprinting or track and field, or, you know, you, sometimes you see that there, there are exceptional talents um, who, who don't work. They work hard, but they don't work in the correct way to maximize themselves. And I mm-hmm. think that's kind of where PK is at right now. He's 31 years old. I'm 31. You know, we're the same age. And, and I think, you know, 31 is a young age to be. And, and if he wants to, he can play 10 more years. But he's got to be doing the right things, like, starting now. So, so what are those things, right? So, so that's the question. Right. So, I, I mean, it, so that's interesting because without knowing PK, what, what he's doing, or maybe you do know what he's doing, how, how are you able to analyze, okay, here's what he should be doing? Um, well, you know, PK is very open with sharing his training routines on Instagram okay. and, and okay. on Twitter. So, so, so I see some of that, but also just watching him play, like, you know, I, maybe he's got some incorrect um, ideas about what it means to be good at hockey. So, so, so I'll give you one example. Okay. okay. So if you watch PK play, play, obviously, you know, physically he's very strong and, you know, he's very good at winning one-on-one battles. And, but then, you know, once he gets, gets into open ice, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in terms of how he plays the game. Like, you know, name a good, good skater, let's say, you know, Paul Coffey or Nick Lidstrom or, you know, Scott Niedermeyer, right? Okay. If you're watching someone, especially a defenseman who's known to be a good skater, and if you're watching them carefully, you'll see that uh, rather than taking as many steps to get somewhere, they're taking as few strides as possible, right? Okay. Whereas if you look at how PK plays and how he trains, he's doing all these quick feet drills and he's, he's very short, right? So mm-hmm. it, it gives him a lot, it, it gives him a burst of energy, but it prevents him from being able to cover the entire ice for 30 minutes a game for 82 games a season plus playoffs. At some point he's going to get tired or he's going to break down or he's going to get hurt because he doesn't have that fluidity, that ease of motion. So really it's a very counterintuitive idea that, you know, for PK to make more of his, make more out of his ability, he's got to start doing a little bit less. Hmm. That's interesting. And all right, so then using the other example, why are the Lightning scoring and the Canadians not scoring? Um, I feel like that could you just say, well, one <laughs> team has Steven Stamkos and Kucherev, and you know the other one doesn't. That's that would be my answer. Well, well, that's a simple, that that's a simple answer, isn't it? But you know, <laughs> yes. there's, but actually, if you look at um, the, the Montreal Canadiens, or you know, obviously the, the past few years haven't been really kind to them, but in terms of the way that they're playing and how fast they are and how well they move the puck, they're, they're actually playing as a good and entertaining brand of hockey uh, that I've seen them play uh, in forever. Like I, yeah. like I grew up in Montreal. I've been a Habs fan since 97. Um, I don't recall watching a team, a Habs team play with, you know, this much pace on the transition ever really, mm. but they're not getting the results. So it's obviously, you know, there, there's some, you know, when the goaltending is not is not ideal, then you know you're going to give up more goals. But also offensively, I just find in terms of their 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 ability to teach players to execute under pressure and identify players who have that extra, you know, two or three percent. You know, you're talking about Stamkos or Kucherov or uh, Brain Point or Anthony Sorelli or so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Like, yeah, you know, you know, like like Montreal are not. Montreal is not doing the things that allow them to have those kind of players. So ultimately, when you 
when you watch hockey, it's, you know, it's 59 minutes of chaos and one minute of, of just breathtaking elite playmaking. Right. And then, and then, so, so they got the 59 minutes covered, but it's just that last minute that they're not quite there. So what, what do you just, in that minute, so let's break, let's get rid of the other 59 and look at that one minute. What is, what is Tampa training its players to do, or what are you seeing Tampa players doing beyond just pure raw ability to, to capitalize in that moment? So, um, the, the way that I kind of examined it in, in that book is, um, you know, I look back, I, I look back at Gila Fleur. So wh- when I was growing up, like I was the, the way that I consumed hockey first and foremost was I would, I, there, there was no YouTube. I didn't have cable TVs and, you know, we get hockey nine Canada once every Saturday, which, which sounds incredibly quaint now. Right. <laughs> so the way that I would yes. consume hockey is I would either, I would play with my friends at not a very high level or i would walk down to the local public library and just you know go down to the hockey section just grab every single book plop it down on a table and just sit there for a few hours so of course you know being in um uh french canada like a lot of the books would talk about you know morris richard or jean beliveau but but Guy Lafleur was a player who really who really stuck out to me just because of you know the the aura or the the, the legacy or the, the narrative right but if you look at how Gilfler plays, it's it's a very kind of uh, I wouldn't say a simple game, but he, it's a very individual game, right? He takes mm-hmm. the puck, he skates down the ice faster than anyone's ever skated before, and then shoots the puck harder than anybody has ever done before into the net. Like if like that's the that's his game in a nutshell, right? Right. But that's not the type of game that lends itself to success. In, in modern hockey, right? You got to right. be able to make plays laterally. You got to be able to change speeds. You got to be able to cut back and change direction and deceive your opponents because, you know, everybody's strong and fast and skilled now, right? So, so, so you have to have that extra bit of awareness or creativity to, to really make something happen. And yet, you know, when I look around at, you know, my, my minor hockey upbringing or the way that hockey is being presented in Quebec, it's still very, I would say a very backward perception. So really, you know, like the, the, the like for me, hockey in, in Quebec is also in a rut because, because of the language barrier, they just haven't been exposed to the new ideas that that's been, um, that have been put in place elsewhere, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's English Canada or the U S or Europe or so on and so forth. So, you know, there's, they're still stuck in a rut where, okay, you got to skate faster. You got to work harder. You got to shoot harder. You got to right. go through teams. Right. And, and that's, that's not how the game is anymore. Right. And, and we saw to tie it together, we saw a lot of this, you know, trying to find that extra 1% at that camp. And here, here you have, what, what was fascinating to me is you have the best players in the world, male and female, and you have a coach and Daryl and a staff that's you know very progressive and trying to find new ideas, um, and so he would he would explain a concept to these players, and then you just see them within seconds implementing it, which I was always really impressed with because it's like it would take me a million reps, you know, if, you, if you're trying to coach me to do something I've never done before. What like what are some things you you watched and you learned in that environment that you know you you feel like more teams can implement at the NHL level? Well, first of all, I think the uh, for for any elite performer really to to get to that level, um, the the ability to learn and the ability to teach is is probably what gets you there. So if, yeah. if we're talking about you know Daryl's camp, well, it's it's first of all the best learners on the ice, but also second the best teachers on the ice. Like I remember we had this conversation that week in uh, Daryl's place where you you know you you told me your son's a baseball player and you asked you know who's the best baseball coach or the best yeah. baseball teacher right and i thought to myself well it's probably still daryl belfry because you know <laughs> he's not a baseball guy but you, you you give him a crash course on what baseball is and he can probably find the first principles or the essentials that allow somebody to be good at, at baseball right so right. S- same thing like if you take you know a charlie mcavoy if you take um matt barzell or patrick kane and you put him in another sport I'm not saying they're going to be the best, but they're going to be able to pick it up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Just because they're finding the the difference making skills in a short period of time. Yeah, and 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 I think um, if you contrast that with, let's say, players at the junior level or coaches at the junior level, who which is still an extremely high level of hockey, right? But the, yeah. 
they're not in that top 1% just yet. And what holds a lot of those people back is um, they don't have that learning ability or they don't, they don't understand that the difference now, it's not how good you are, it's how much better you're ready to be or willing to be. You know, how much you're, you're ready to change your game or adapt your game or reinvent your game to, to get that last 1%, even though it means risking the other 99%. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Daryl, obviously you're close with and you've worked closely with, uh, and I know in part, you, you know, you took those jobs in Toronto because you wanted to, you wanted to be part of that coaching environment. You wanted to learn you know, to, to become a coach. What did you learn from, let's say a guy like Sheldon Keefe or, and I don't know how much you worked with Greg Moore, but another guy who came from a progressive program in the USHL. Mm-hmm. You know, what did you learn about their mentality? And it's, it just does seem like it's something different than kind of the traditional coaches. Yeah. So, so I actually spoke with uh, Sheldon a few days ago. Like he, he just called me to to see how I was doing and stuff. And um, and we were talking about like when I talk with Sheldon, we we're always talking about hockey, but sometimes we're we're not talking about hockey. Like he was telling me how you know he he's enjoying the time with his family and stuff like that, but that you know he's really I think his family is looking forward to him getting back on the road, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So there's and, a lot of that right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so then, and, and I know he, he also like, he likes playing tennis, but, but also like what, what we started talking about was golf because mm-hmm. um, like his wife is a good player and his, his kids don't know how to play. So I'm like, why don't you take your kids out to, to, you know, play some golf and teach him the swing and, and you know what maybe something is going to come up that's going to help you as a coach with the Leafs down the road right so it's right so so, so i think the, the the hallmark of someone like sheldon or, or daryl or adam nicholas or it's it's that you know when we talk we're always talking about hockey but even when we're talking about other stuff like we always bring it back and we're able to take inspiration from different things and and use it in hockey because you know what like we're working at the top level of the game, which means that, you know, any innovation we're going to get is going to come from the outside. Basically. Right. Right. And you can even see it like with you guys watching that to, to bring us back to Daryl's living room, watching that tennis match. Like you got like all of a sudden people are gathered around, you're pausing it, you're rewinding it. And you're just like, okay, why, what are they doing here? And it, like, it just seems like that's the mentality. What can we constantly be stealing from other things to, to get better? Yeah. And, and, and I think if you look at, you know, the, the culinary world, what, what chefs do, you know, they're always taking inspiration from, from something seemingly random, right? But then they're making something incredible out of it that's, that's pushing beyond what's been done already. So, so I think that's, if you're looking for a commonality between great minds in any industry, I think you're going to find that, right? And I would say that, so, so that's the first thing. The second thing is having worked with, you know, Sheldon and, and Greg and uh, Kyle Dubas, obviously. And it's, you see that, you know, it's one thing to have talent and it's one thing to be smart and it's one thing to to do the right things, but you got to, you know, you got to show up early and you got to work hard. And and I think it's, it's not for nothing that I've been getting up at six or four and, you know, writing every day and putting out a book in two weeks. Like, I don't think this ever could have happened without that experience. Just knowing, just knowing how hard, um, First of all, how, how hard you got to work, but also how hard you can work once you hit on something that really um, that you're really passionate about. Mm. I mean, that's a big part of it. You can sit there and go, you know what, right now I really should write a book. But unless you're and this is like that's how I tend to know if I should be doing a project is if I if I'm thinking about it constantly and I and I want to do it, you know what I mean, versus, hey, this is a good idea that I think would sell or whatever but if Mm -hmm. i I don't care then i'm not going to get it done i'm not getting up at 4 a.m to do it yeah and and i think to to, once again to be successful in that extra in that that last one percent is you you have to have it so it's one thing to want to work hard it's one thing to be ready to work hard but um there's also that inspiration or that uh, motivation that you have that you know, hard work just kind of pours out of you. It's not, it's not something that you force. It just kind of happens. And, yeah. and, and, and I think that, you know, why I feel so lucky to, first of all, to, to be part of that for the, the past few years, but also now to be away from that is, you know, now is a perfect time for me to, to do all these things that, that I've always wanted to, to do and, and to have it happen 
in such an organic way. It's just, it, it's a gift. Like I, I don't even know how to, how to really express it. Um, okay. Let me take a break real quick here because, and then I want to get into, I mean, what'd you say? You're 31 and you've already done so many interesting things. And so I, I want to dive into some of that. So hold on one second. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to a couple of these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that you have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code FULL60. That's theblacktux.com, code FULL60 for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, so Jack, so I think a lot of people maybe um, found out about you, first heard about you about from, I think it was Bob McKenzie did a story a few years ago. Um, just kind of about your interesting background and and your work in Montreal and the one minute tactics um, and and so like that's and how old you must have been what twenty seven or twenty eight when that came out something like that yeah yeah and and so to me it was like here's this person who's done all these interesting things at such a young age kind of in the in the especially in the hockey world like people aren't even getting started. Um, so if I can just let me rewind a little bit where, and, and I found you, you mentioned your grandfather was in literature, your family moved to Canada when what you were six, like how mm-hmm. do you even remember all that? Like, wh- like what are your first kind of thoughts on that and memories of that? Um, well, we, uh, I, I remember we, we landed in Canada on, um, what was it? July 1st. Okay. Uh, not 96. And then, so, so we get to Vancouver, which is, you know, we, we go through customs in Vancouver, um, uh, before our flight to Montreal. And, and the, the one thing I remember about that stop was that, um, we, we actually got in trouble at, mm. at, at the border. So what happened was my, my parents misinterpreted the rules, right? So the rules, the, the rule said that to get into the country, you have, you, you're allowed to bring uh, a liter of hard liquor per person. So, so okay. they, so they, so, so they brought, they, they brought, um, I think it was vodka for, as, as gifts for, for people that they already knew in Montreal. Yeah. But they, they misinterpreted the rules because, um, I also had one on me. So th- <laughs> they thought it was one bottle per person, not one bottle per adult. You know? <laughs> so, 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 so that was my first memory of Canada. Like, and, and I'm smuggling like, in vodka as a six year old. Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. good first memory. Yeah, and then my parents had their life savings, like physical, like like my grandmother sewed these like hidden compartments in my dad's pockets, and he had our life savings like physically on him. It was like thirty thousand dollars U.S. or some, something like that. Oh my gosh! So it's and this is ninety six. Like for me, it's not that long ago, but now it, it just feels like for, forever, right? That's that's wild. What was the yeah. impetus behind the move? If you can say, um, yeah. So well. I, I'm an only child and, you know, both my parents were, they were university educated. They were very career oriented and, and for them, you know, the, the promised land was North America. Yeah. So, you know, they, they want to go to the U S they want to go to California and get rich and get suntans and mm, drive nice cars. Too. But, um, but their, their best friends were in Montreal. So we, we ended up in Montreal, you know, and freezing our butts off for the first few years. But but my parents finally they made it. They're in San Diego now. They have a house. They're they're probably hanging out in their backyard right now with their plants and their vegetables. So <laughs> that's great. Good for so them. So they've got they've got it made. Meanwhile, I'm I'm sitting in a car with my girlfriend. We're uh, 
we're in Trenton, Ontario, at yeah. a rest stop, and uh, I'm talking to you. So, but but it's it's, it's pretty great too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite San Diego with vegetables, but it's not bad. Um, so it's, that's fascinating. So, uh, like, how much of it do you think was motivated by them? With, with their own personal aspirations or, or them having an only child that they really wanted to put in the best position to succeed? Have you ever talked why, about that? Um, well, I mean, for, for them, it was definitely the, the, the second part about yeah. getting the best for me. And, and I, I really admire them for that. Like, I, I don't have any kids yet. But uh, so, so I really can't imagine what that feels like. But, you know, it's, it must be a really, it, it's a big thing to, you know, uproot your whole life and, and, and do it for for your kid. Yeah, it is. And and I asked that question because I would be curious. Like to me, I would feel a certain amount of pressure. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. I, this is how my mind works. Like so, yeah. I, I feel yeah. pressure even just because I'm like, boy, I was raised in you know a good situation, so I better not mess this up. I was you know I started on third base or whatever. So mm-hmm. like I would feel in your spot, I'd be like, boy, okay, my parents did all this for me. I better I better do something well. Yeah, I mean, with, with privilege comes pressure for sure. And, and you know, when, when I was in high school, my parents were like, you know, Jack, you can be anything that you want to be as long as you're a doctor or a lawyer. And you, <laughs> so, but, no, but, but, but honestly, that, that's, that, that's what it was. Like if, if yeah. you're Asian and you, you have this traditional, you know, first generation up, upbringing, right. like that, that's what it was. So you know, I, I'd always been interested in hockey and I, I played it and, you know, later on I coached it, but, um, I would say before age 25, I never even thought about, uh, making my career in sports just because it was unthinkable. Mm. Right. I was, I, I studied in marketing. I was going to work, you know, for an ad agency or for a big company and, and have a, you know, have good benefits and, you know, make six figures and, and buy a house and, and, and that, that would be it. Right. Right. But, but at the same time, uh, as I mentioned before, it's just when, when you're not, when your, when your passion is not there, you're, you don't have that last 1%. So I, I don't think I could have been as successful even in, in those more kind of mundane things because, you know, when I'm not on, then I'm off. Right. That's, that's interesting. So, um, y- you went to McGill, right? What did you study yes. there? Uh, marketing. So you're so you're studying marketing, but you yeah, get and, you, yeah. Go ahead. Well, I minored in poli sci um, and German German language. <laughs> you you yeah. did okay, just to mix yeah. in some German. Yeah. So so uh, actually, Greg Moore played a few years in Germany. So we speak in you know we we exchange very simple, simplistic German sentences at times. But that 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 was the extent of it for me. And so I like the story. And so you did get involved with the women's team there, and and. At that point, this is pre-video coach, Jack, like you were, I guess, having analytics. Can you tell that story about just getting your foot in the door in the, in the hockey world? So what, what happened was I was working at a tech startup and I was kind of, I was basically bored, bored out of my mind. And, and one, one day um, I decided, you know what, for me to really give this hockey thing, you know, a serious go, I would have to start somewhere. And, mm-hmm. and I, I looked at, Montreal and I looked at the options I had. So uh the Montreal Canadiens were no go. I had already worked there. They didn't want me back. So so that <laughs> wasn't gonna happen. Um there weren't any junior teams on the island of Montreal. And then I thought back to well, one of my classmates, Jordana Peroff, uh from from uh when I was an undergrad, she played on the women's team and her coach was Peter Smith who coached at the Olympics. He won three gold medals as a, as an assistant with team Canada. Hmm. And so, so I thought to myself, well, we have this, this, uh, great experienced coach who's, who has so much experience and, you know, who started this program from, so he took the program from club level to being a national level powerhouse. So I was like, you know, if I can find a way to work with him, then it'll probably be a good thing for me. Yes. So, so I sent him an email and I kind of, you know, two, three paragraphs about who I am and, you know, whether he, he's looking for help. And then uh, he says, okay, well, come, you know, um, come see me at my office. And then so, so what, what um, ended up happening was at the time he was looking for a video coach because the, the previous guy had left 
to, pr- to pursue a musical career. And he was, he's gotten to a point where he was so desperate that he asked uh, Johnny, who was their equipment manager, if he could learn video so he could cut some games. <laughs> so he, so, so he was kind of like, I was kind of at rock bottom and he was kind of at rock bottom and we yeah. found each other and the, the rest is history. Like we still, you know, I, I worked for him for three years, but then like, I go back all the time. Like they're, yeah. they're like, we have a saying it's, it's always a martlet, which means that, you know, you, you play for the program where you coach the program, but you, you know, you're always part of it. And I, I always feel like I'm part of it. Seems to be a lot of McGill pride out there. Yeah. based on the yeah. people I've come yeah. across that are yeah. associated with that, that you, place. You want, uh, actually, speaking of McGill, you want a good uh, Mike Babcock story? Sure. Always like okay. a good Mike so, Babcock okay. story. So, so last year, um, Kyle had the idea to have me sit in on a lot of their, uh, the, a lot of the, the coaches' meetings mm-hmm. with the Leafs. And uh, obviously, Babs is still there. And so I, so I would spend a lot of mornings hanging out at the practice rink, you know, on, on, on their practice days. And, and one day I come in and I'm wearing these like bright purple Nike training shoes, like these, these weightlifting shoes. And, and I wore them cause they were, they were wide. I have wide feet. They were comfortable. And like, you know, like I, I like a, a splash of color. Um, so, so Bab sees me come in with these shoes and he, and he looks at me and, and he goes, uh, what's, what's wrong with your shoes? They, <laughs> can't we get this guy some shoes so he he he, go, he goes and gets brian papineau who's, who's the equipment manager and he's like you know can can you give this guy some shoes because whatever he's wearing is not is not cutting it so That's and, amazing. And, and and i think that gives you a lot of insight into to mike as a person because you know he he, he expects a certain standard obviously i wasn't living up to it but yes also you know he wants things done a certain way and you know, I, I knew that it was kind of a way to, to tighten me up as he would say, or, or get me back in line. But, you know, I, I just kind of went with the flow and I was just, I was just thankful. I got a pair of shoes for free. You know, I, I got these nice blue team issue Adidas uh, shoes that actually I still have and I still wear them to, to go running. So, so, so that would have been a good strategy just to start wearing crazy clothes to see how many different team issued like wind, windbreakers you could get from Mike. I think that you should have stuck with that. Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe subconsciously, that's what I wanted to do because I I have been <laughs> shopping for new shoes, so you actually save me some money. So, so I would be curious. So, I would think you and Mike would get along in that. Mike has that mentality. He is rigid, without a doubt, right? He has his beliefs, but I do like when you talk about trying to to find concepts from different places. He also subscribes to that theory. How did you find? You know, he. <laughs> He isn't always described as progressive in kind of hockey terms and how he wants teams to play, but I think he does have a mind that operates that way. How did you guys mesh? Um, I think we're very different people, like in terms of like our, our upbringings, our backgrounds, our ages. Yeah. Um, but one yes. thing I would say is um, I think he'll be back, and I think he'll be back better than before. And and I say this because, you know, prior to – to being let go in Toronto, you know, he, he'd been working as a coach for what, like 10 or 12 years in a row, something like that without mm-hmm. a break. Yeah. And, and, and I, as I'm experiencing now, like it, it's so different being in a team context and always being around the same people and, and, you know, falling into certain kind of pitfalls just because you, you, you don't have that outside perspective. Right. Whereas like now I can be on my Twitter and then somebody, who I, I have no idea, I've never met, could tweet me, we can have a, a good conversation about something and I can learn something. Right. So ha- having this time away or this perspective or th- this openness to the outside world can only, can, can only help, really. And, yeah. and I think it's, um, it's a great thing to, to be able to accelerate your learning this way once in a while. Like the, the one thing that I proposed to Kyle way back when was, you know, it's, it's strange that for a coach, success means always having a job. Like they, they should be more like college professors where every five or seven years you get a sabbatical because you need mm. that sabbatical. And, and I think, you know, they, most of these cases end up being, you know, ac- accidental ones where you get let go and you spend half a season or a whole season on the sidelines and, and you, en- you end up learning and coming back better, like John Tortorella or Mike Sullivan in, in uh, behind the bench. Right, which which I yeah. love, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I was just thinking that I was like, you know, John Tortorella may, might be Exhibit A of that, where 
you know, retrospect, he probably shouldn't have even taken the Vancouver job. Like it was, you know, that time off and he would be the first one to tell you was, was beneficial to him and just allowing himself to even just, you know, in, in the book, Mike and John talked about like doing an analytics project. Like they both were out of a job. And so they're like, Hey, let's, let's just break down film and let's study how teams score goals and what they look like and how that challenges our conventions. And they discovered things that they wouldn't have ever had the time to do otherwise. Yeah. And I, I think the same principle applies to all of us right now with the pandemic. Like we're, mm. we're working from home or uh, we're, you know, we're sitting around or we're spending more time with family or, you know, we're rediscovering outdoor activity or, but, but, but I think w- whatever pause that this whole situation gives us is only going to help us. And, and I, th- and I think we'll, we'll come back and be able to refocus and maybe find something that we've never considered before. Mm. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit cause we're running short on time, but so you, you're working at McGill. Um, you also had a brief, but glorious stint with the athletic, which glorious, um, Absolutely glorious. glorious. It was, yeah. it was during the uh, Wild West days of the athletic, where we were all just trying to to figure out what it was going to look like, and it was it was actually my favorite period of time because it was like, hey, this guy Jack's writing really interesting things, and I was running Detroit, and I'm like, hey, good, Jack, can you write something about you know Red Wings goalies? And you were up for it. It was I loved that period of mm-hmm. time. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I I went back because it's it, like on the apps, it's a little bit difficult to to find my work like way back when. So I have to go through Google, but I actually went through um, uh, some of my old articles this week because of uh, some of the research I'd done back then that, that yeah. I, I didn't want to do again. Like there was one article about Mitch Marner like playing on his off wing, which has finally come to pass on the power play. You know, for, for three years, he's, he'd been on the right flank and finally he's on the left now. And, and I, I wrote an article about that way, like, way back in, what, 2016? That was my first article for the, for the Athletic. Hmm. Yeah. So, That's so, it's, yeah. So, so, I mean, you're, you're doing that. And, and I think your, your approach to just sharing your work and being so public about it has benefited you, right? Like we, it's, it's just easy for a lot of people to be exposed to your, the way you think and kind of the high quality, you know, thought process and, and the work that you do. And I, and similar, I'm sure it helped land the job in Toronto. And you, like you said, in a very short period of time, you had three different jobs from player development analyst, hockey ops assistant and assistant coach. What, what now? And I, and I, you know, you strike me as someone that probably went in saying, okay, I want to do this just to gain this experience. What, what, what do you think you're going to pull away? And I know it's hard in the moment because it's so fresh, but like, what do you pull away from that stretch of time? Uh, well, it's, it, it's, um, like on the one hand, it was it was so impressive to see all the the effort and the resources that go into building like a world class hockey program like in Toronto, right? It's it, it you know all the staff and all the the resource we had and um, the, the 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 great players and and the information that we had access to was just it, you know like I I don't expect anything like that being done anywhere else right now. Yeah. I, I'm sure other teams will catch up. Or maybe other teams are already there. Who knows? But um, to to be able to see things up close, I imagine it's almost like you know if NASA let you, uh, you know, take a tour of uh, Cape Canaveral and you know look at the space shuttle or or touch everything. Or, you know, like I, I mean, I I had the the I had permission to go around and, and touch stuff for three years. So that's great. Yeah. Is there anything? Um, I don't know. If misconception is the right word, but. You know, we don't have those of us on the outside don't have access to these mines, to you know, people like Kyle, to to this to these resources. What's what's maybe the biggest misconception about that world that you, after having a glimpse of it? Well, I, I I would say in in general terms, it's it's that if you if you look at something and on the surface level it doesn't make sense, well, there's two possibilities. For, first of all, is it truly doesn't make sense and we should change it. But the, the other side is maybe things are that way because of other things. So we're, we're just patching, you know, it's almost like a, a road that's constantly being, being repaired. Like we're, we're putting patches on top of patches and, until the road itself is not recognizable. And, and on, honestly, that's how society is mostly built. Mm-hmm. And I think if you understand that, then you'll see that, you know, as a, maybe as a casual fan, you'll, you'll, you'll see something and go, well, this is obvious. 
and then you become a hardcore fan and you look at it and, and it's like, well, it's not so obvious anymore. And then, and then you, you work for a team and you're just like, well, this is the way it is because of X and Y. And it's, it's very tough to change. So, right. so I think, yeah. So, so, so I think on a very general level, that's, that's what I would say. That like things that were, that maybe there's a lot of assumptions made about decision-making that we don't have the full array of information to assess. That- which is a cliche right like whenever whenever a, a journalist or somebody in the, on the outside questions what's happening on the inside that that's generally the, the explanation that you're getting <laughs> yeah if you only and, knew what we were dealing with yeah here. Right. And, and but but you know oftentimes it, it truly is that sometimes it isn't but oftentimes it is yeah so so now you're at this point in your life you've got this coaching background you've got some management you've got writing we're like what is what are your aspirations like which i mean you can do all of it i guess but do you <laughs> do you have an area that you're going to hone in on well um it, it's tough to say and, and maybe one example i can point to is uh ryan holiday who, whose work is widely mm. read in you yeah. know hockey circles i'd say and and actually i i had correspondence with ryan way back when like back in 2013 when we were both in completely different spots in life and you know looking at what he's done subsequently you know he worked he was head of marketing for american apparel then he was a writer uh about uh media manipulation he was a writer about you know philosophy and and now i i think he's living near austin and he's raising goats with his wife and, and kids or something like that and you know what like like on the one hand it's it's kind of uh it's kind of weird for me to say, but, but I, I aspire to live somewhere out of the way and to raise goats. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I want, I want the Ryan holiday plan. Yeah. So he was a uh, full 60 guest for the, uh, the good time to plug by stuff now. Yeah. Full yeah, 60. Yeah. Great episode with Ryan. Um, and, and that's a good thing to, to wrap up with. What are you reading right now during this time? What to get better? What am I reading right now? Let me think here. Um, I'm reading a lot of my own stuff, actually, J- just from a few years ago, just yeah. to see how far I've come. And once again, not, not to duplicate on my research or just to see how my writing or my thinking has changed. So, so I think it's right now is a good time to reflect and put out more work but, and, and to learn. So, so that's what I'm doing now because I, I don't even know when hockey is going to start again. So. Right. I have a hard t- I I don't like, for instance, I haven't read Behind the Bench since it came out. I have a hard time looking back at my own work because I think it nothing good comes of it for me. I feel like I just I feel like missed opportunities or whatever. Do you you find it useful as a practice? Absolutely. Like I mm-hmm. think if if you're a player, then you should be looking at video of yourself playing. If you're a writer, I think you should be rereading your your earlier stuff. Mm. Uh, if you're a musician, maybe listen to stuff you recorded in the past. But having that double loop learning where you're you're learning something and then you're you're giving yourself feedback and you know trying to be better and, and going through that process again. Like that's for me how to improve, whether it's in hockey or writing or anything else. And and I I'm really looking forward to living that for the next little while. Well, Jack, thanks for doing this. It was fun to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and we'll we'll definitely plug the book when it comes out and help people find your your newsletter and safe travels to Montreal. Is that okay, where you're thank- Montreal, right? Yeah, we're, we're going house shopping. Oh. So, exciting times. Well, good luck. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks for finding the time, Jack. Okay. Take thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank Jack for joining the podcast. It was a fun conversation. Great to catch up with Jack. Um, it's, it's always fun when people resurface after disappearing behind the team curtain for a minute. And it was great, really great to have that conversation with Jack. Uh, looking forward to seeing what he produces. I would encourage you... Follow him on Twitter at J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. Seems like he just um, moved some vowels there in hockey, I guess. At J-H-A-N-H-K-Y. And you'll be able to pre-order his book. You'll be able to follow all his writing. Keep up with what he's up to. I would definitely encourage you to do that. Before we wrap up, uh, I just want to encourage you, if you're a listener to the Full 60, I mean, I guess you are, if you've made it this far, um, you get 40% off a subscription to The Athletic if you go to theathletic.com slash full 60. 
if you are somehow not subscribing to Athletic, I would encourage you, even now, without games, the, the amount of creativity and fascinating stories and storytelling. Like, we just did a bunch of sports collectibles, memorabilia stories. Um, it's it, like the creativity on the staff is amazing, and the support we've gotten from subscribers has been awesome. So, if you want to subscribe uh, and you want a discount, go to theathletic.com slash full 60 to get 40% off your subscription. Also encourage you to check out Steve Mayer, who was on Pierre and Scott's podcast, Two Man Advantage. He was on this podcast earlier, but he gave some interesting updates on what return to play might look like in the NHL. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, because it got posted a little late, um, check out Katie Strang's uh, episode of The Full 60. It was great. Uh, it was important. She was she was really insightful, powerful, um, all the things that Katie is uh, in her stories. She was in this podcast. So I would encourage you to go listen to that episode if you haven't already. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Jack for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great week.